0: can we bow our heads and pray? Heavenly Father, we've uh, prayed it in our singing, but we pray it with particular application as we attend now to your word. We ask that in the hearing of your word, our hearts may glow with your heavenly fire. Amen. Amen. Some of you will have seen uh, the film Of Gods and Men. Uh, For those who haven't, I recommend it. On the surface, I would have to acknowledge, it isn't very promising. It's in French, for a start, and it's about some monks. And there isn't a single decent car chase throughout the whole thing. (laughs) But there are subtitles, perfectly adequately... It's the story of some monks in a monastery in Algeria, as Islamic terrorism comes closer to them and to the village that has looked to them for support. They have to face their own fear and consider whether their vocation calls them to stay or to leave. Now, at one point, the abbot says to a monk who is afraid of losing his life, remember, you already lost your life when you came here. You are no longer your own. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Would you please turn to our reading, Colossians chapter 3, and page 1184. And we come to the third of our three sermons on evangelical distinctives, those features of life for which a church like ours has stood for 150 years and pleased God for many years yet. But this is, if I'm honest, not as easily grasped as the other two, the Word of God and the cross of Christ. You would think if we've had... Uh, God the Creator bringing all things into existence by His Word, and then the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, rightly, as, as Mark says, where we're bound to focus on the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, but perhaps just as the other ones were uh, around God the Creator and what His Word accomplishes in the world, and Jesus and what His cross accomplishes in the world, this the reading doesn't even have the word spirit in it. But this is about what the spirit of Christ does, what, what he accomplishes in the world. Now, there is a posh word for it. One historian of evangelicals in the church calls it conversionism. It's the way in which evangelicals want to have the kind of living relationship with God, by Christ's Spirit, in which change, constant change, is to be expected and welcomed. Ours isn't a faith that comes to church on a Sunday, nods at God once a week, and then goes away to live in exactly the same way. And it shouldn't really surprise us that we begin with a monk. After all, when the church was just the one church where would an evangelical spirit have gone? John Calvin himself often goes back to some of the great monks to express a devotion to Jesus that would fit absolutely with the kind of evangelical emphasis that we read here in Colossians. Verse 1 of chapter 3, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Conversionism it's just a fancy word for change. We expect change. And for our purposes this morning, we focus on two areas that we find in this passage of Colossians. Jesus changes me, and Jesus changes the world. Jesus changes me, first of all, then. When we first come to Christ, repentance is at the heart of it. What Paul calls here You have taken off the old self and put on the new self. And there'll be some of you who can remember the day, maybe even the time, when you quite deliberately first repented of sin, turned away from an old life, and walked into a new one. And at the heart of it was a recognition in full personal responsibility that your sin was indeed your sin, and that you wanted to turn away from it, to reject it. That's the classic pattern that Paul's describing with the language of old self, new self. But what of those, and I'm guessing it's many of us, for whom that's not the case, who may have been brought up by godly parents, and who may not have known that moment, that day? Well, the genius of Christian faith, of course, is that the same Spirit of Christ is working the same way at all times. And as a Christian believer now, I find in myself the daily need for conversion. I have to repent day by day, hour by hour. That's what conversionism means. We expect Christ's Spirit to change us. So although Paul says, you have put off the old, you have put on the new, he can also say, set your hearts and minds on things above, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You have done it, but you need to keep doing it. The mega level that has happened on one day for some of us still has to take place at a micro level every day for all of us. Nobody loses out on the chance to repent. well, that might sound odd, the chance to repent, as though it's a good thing to repent. But it is a good thing. It's not that we actively seek to make our home in dust and ashes, but rather it's bound to be the nature of life if we are living it with, truly with, a holy God, that that's what we'll want to do. I'm told that in Hebrew, the Bible is called mikra. And it's linked to the word for to call, kra. How could we respond, whether once in a lifetime or every day, to the call of Jesus himself without that sense that Peter showed after Jesus told him how to fish? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Repentance is not the wallowing in sin. It's just the expression of wanting to be nearer to Jesus without sin getting in the way. Let me just apply that a little. I sometimes have the feeling that we can slip into keeping confession as a note in our prayers that only emerges on a Sunday. We say the confession as though that's the one time in our week when we review our lives. Now I need to be careful because in any congregation there are those who are going to be burdened by an unhelpful sense of sinfulness, constantly seeking a forgiveness they don't seem to find. And that deserves particular attention. So have a word with Mark or myself. But I wonder if whether for most of us the opposite might be true. That confession isn't enough present in our prayers? Do we come to Christ with a sense of what we want, but insufficiently attending to who we are? Don't slip, please, into a weekly confession. Keep shorter accounts with Christ than that. Not because the church says, but because that's how Jesus designed things to be. If we want to be with him, then we must set our hearts on things above. And that means putting to death the things below. Well, that's not very exalted, is it? It's a little bit of pastoral advice thrown into a sermon. It's not apparently very relevant to those of us who may be returning to worlds tomorrow that seem much more chaotic than that advice will help with hardly seems worth it. And yet what would you be like if God granted to you a spirit of repentance? Would you not shine in the world that you go to tomorrow? Whether that's a work or family or college, wouldn't we shine out as a community if we were like that? And at its best, the evangelical community has done just that. We shine in the world. And that thought of the world takes us on to the second topic, Jesus changes me, and then secondly, Jesus changes the world. How is it that Paul gets from verse 9 to verse 10? I'm sorry, this is the problem of having rubbish rubbish eyesight these days. From verse 10 through to verse 11. Have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised. We, we know what he means. You've probably had sermons explain to you what verse 11 means and what verse 12 means. But what, what is it that makes him want to get from verse 11 to verse 12? Well, it shows perhaps how deep this stuff can run. When we put on the new self, we put on a self that is being renewed, Paul says. And who wouldn't want renewal? And it's being renewed in the image of Jesus. And who wouldn't want to be like Jesus? But it's a Jesus, verse 10, that is seen as the creator. The moment Paul thinks of Jesus, he he goes global, as it were, almost physically. According to verse 1, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and from which position he sees everything that is created, everything that he has been involved in creating there is nowhere outside his knowing it. So when we repent, of course it's true that renewal comes into our life at the level of our sinfulness, our impurity, our lust, our anger, and our greed, and Paul covers those. But it's also true that we see more deeply into how things are, how the Creator made them. And as we love more, we see the underlying unity that uh, verse 14 describes. Put on love, which binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. And so, we move from uh, renewed in knowledge. That means, inevitably, being renewed in the knowledge of our Creator, the One who created us, because He sees from on high. And if He sees from on high, what He sees is is a wonderful diversity, and yet now, because of his love, he sees this tremendous unity. And so, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And that is the spiritual logic that lies behind mission. If we say that the Sassala in Ghana... Don't matter where Penny Bakewell ministers, then what we're saying is, yes, we know this says in the Bible, no Greek or Jew. But we're quite happy to leave out the Sisala. Or we leave out those living in the Congo where Claude has gone. Or South Africa, where Ruth will minister, or the Muyang, where the Smiths are. And those are ethnic tribes, but there are other tribes too. Slave or free is about our circumstances, not our ethnicity. If we leave out the slaves, those who may be tied very locally to circumstances they can't escape, then we fail them. If we leave out the free, those who glory locally in all the freedom of of a Western, uh, fairly well-off person to do as they please, we fail them. Mission is a command, but it has a logic. A church that doesn't have all the tribes within it can't live out the love that Paul is talking about from our Creator. And so let me again apply it. Of course, you expect that those who stand here will say, go and tell the world. But just because you expect it doesn't mean we can't say it. When did you last sit down with someone and explain the good news of Jesus? I suspect we're very good at doing activities that are in the vague general area, and those things may be necessary. We may even be quite good at asking people to come and hear someone who will explain the gospel, and that's what we are to do week by week. And as Mark pointed out after yesterday's conference, we may even be very good at praying for people to become Christians, But if Jesus is the one that you and I want to be with, such that we confess and repent and want him to change our hearts, isn't it odd if we can never explain to anyone else what that's like? If we don't have that boldness, and if I say it to you, I say it to me, of course, as well. My portfolio of friends has stayed stable for a very long time, and I too rarely explain what the good news is. And if the issue is simply, I don't know what to say, then be sure that it isn't a simple issue. We can and will teach uh, on what might be said, but the heart of it has to be this. If you, sitting here this morning, have a living, vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, then just open your mouth and talk about him. We only start worrying about what to say when we're trying to describe something that hasn't been that warm living relationship for a while. In our planning, we didn't want to spend our 150th year investing in all kinds of commemorative events that wouldn't change anything. We only want to do such things as will support what we should always be about, changing the world, and the world begins on our doorstep. Having said that, it does feel to me as though we are going to be setting about a renewed sense of direction. The wardens and I, the council, our prayer focus meetings... I'm not alone in the feeling that something is up. And whatever that is, it is going to ask of us time and energy. It's going to cost us. But how gladly will we offer it if we've grasped that basic logic? If Christ is all and in all, then no one across the world is left out. Our nearest neighbor and the furthest far-off human being are all created in the image of the one in whose image we ourselves are being renewed. And so my plea to you this morning is mostly to those who might find themselves on the sharper end of this question. In your heart of hearts, have you stopped looking for change, real change, in you and through you to the world around then take this passage to heart, dwell in it for a little while. Let it drive you to your knees, saying, yes, but how do I set my heart on things above? And mostly you'll find you just have to do what it says, to put to death immorality, lust, greed, anger, and slander, and to consider compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We know, that's why we're here probably, that in part... We want change. But how much do we want it? We know the um, storm that is sweeping across North Africa. Think of that man with whom it started. The graduate who couldn't find work, who set up a, a vegetable stall and was frustrated because the police would keep coming along and uh, threaten to uh, destroy or take away all he had unless he bribed them. One day, they uh, beat him up and took away his stuff. They took it to the police station, and he went to the police station and asked for it back, pleaded to have it back. They beat him up and threw him out. He went away, poured petrol on himself, and set himself on fire. And all that we see in North Africa comes from that one man. Imagine how much he wanted change. Could it be possible that we ourselves might want that same desperation, that that desperation to see change happen? in us and through us for the world. It's tragic when a man has to set himself on fire when we know of one who will set us on fire for us. I asked you last week to stand. I could do it again. But who amongst us wouldn't want to be renewed in the image of Jesus, our Creator? It would be a brave soul who decided to stay seated. And so as we sit, let's pray. Lord, we long for change. We don't really need another ism, but it's at the heart of who we are that we know we need you every day. Turning from our sin, ourselves, and then being turned by you towards a world that needs you, as we do, to be all in all. And so take us and change us by the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, so our minds and our hearts may be set on things above so that we will bear the cost of seeing change come about in things below. Amen.